All right, what if there was someone who wanted to help you find a job? Choose Express Employment Professionals, and that is exactly what you're going to get. They can help you find work in any industry. With just one interview at Express, you have a connection to endless jobs. Whether you want a contract job, a new full-time role, or a summer job, choose Express Employment Professionals. Express has more than 860 locally owned locations and no fees for job seekers. Visit ExpressPros.com today to find a location near you. Summer is upon us, and whatever you have going on, a vacation, a staycation, a summer wedding, well, Macy's has you covered. If you need summer dresses, matching sets, volume sleeve tops, wedges, straw-crafted bags, I mean, really, they have what you need head to toe. I'm talking Levi's, Dolce Vita, Lacoste, and more. So shop summer must-haves at Macy's. Go to Macy's.com slash style. Again, that's Macy's.com slash style. All summer, the best time of the year usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there was another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. At IKEA, everyone can have lounge chair access. No reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, They have all of the essentials that you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Life ain't always pretty, but hey, it's pretty beautiful thing. Laugh a little more things. Tight, tighten up your core Said EK, you're kicking it with four things. With Amy Brown. Happy Thursday, four things. Amy here. And my guest today is Brandy Wilson, who is a friend, but also, well, at a point in time, I went to the church in which you were the wife of the pastor that was there. And we'll get into some of that, but you're over because you wrote a book. It's called Better Than Okay. And I love that title so much. And we were talking before we started recording and, you know, you had mentioned Mm -hmm. that people sometimes ask you, uh, your book is about the divorce that you had from said pastor. And that divorce is not the end of your story. And that someone would would come to you and say, is this going to get any better? Am I going to be okay? This feels so, you know, the opposite of okay. Yes. And, and I have been there and you had already been through the weeds and you're on the other yeah. side and you were able to look at them and say, it's going to be better than okay. Yeah. You're going to be better than okay. Like life is going to be better than okay. You are going to be better than okay. Yeah. And I think that's just such a message of hope because in the midst, when you're in the weeds of a divorce and there's so much loss around you, you just want somebody to say like, you're going to be okay you're going to make it. Keep going. You've got this. Well, obviously, this story involves multiple people. And when you set out to write a book that's mm-hmm. likely very therapeutic and healing for you, but yes. also is going to be very therapeutic and healing for other people and knowing right. that they're not alone. When did you decide that you were going to write a book about your story? Mm-hmm. And then how did you decide what to say, what not to say? And this is something that unfolded years ago. And 
it was a, the talk of the town. Yes. Just to give a little backstory, I married my college sweetheart back in 1996. And right out of college, we had planted a church in Kentucky. We were there for five years. We then moved to Nashville in 2001. And in 2002, planted Cross Point Church, which is still in Nashville and going strong. And Cross Point was one of the fastest growing churches in the nation. It could still be. I don't know. I'm not there. But at that time, one of the fastest growing churches in the nation. And after 14 years of serving there, 20 years of marriage, my husband at the time just chose to walk away. In September of 2016, he left the church. He left the ministry that we had started. He left our family. He walked away from our marriage. And life as I knew it ended. I had, I, I'm a planner, Amy. So this is not at all what I foresaw in my plan of life. And I was devastated. I felt damaged. I felt destroyed. It's easier to tell you what I didn't feel rather than what I was feeling because life had just fallen apart. And I think pretty quickly there were things I started to recognize about the fact that I'd functioned in, well, I tried to function in a dysfunctional, unhealthy relationship for a really long time. Stuff about the past continued to come out where I realized that there was always a double life being lived. There was always a third person in our marriage the majority of the time, which is difficult to reconcile what was real and what wasn't. And I think pretty early on, I knew that I was not going to allow this to destroy me, that I was going to take care of myself and take care of my kids. And I didn't know what that looked like, but those became my two goals. And I knew when I got to the end of walking through the divorce that I wanted to be able to look back at the way I'd handled myself and be proud of how I'd walked through such a tragedy. And I wanted to give my kids a picture of strength and also faith of how I was taking one day at a time and leaning on God in the midst of it. My divorce was final in 2016. I had thought about writing a book for a little while. I just didn't know if it would be hard to revisit it. I didn't know exactly what stance I would take when I wrote the book. And then toward the end of 2021, I had someone reach out and I had put a proposal together and it had gotten into their hands and they just asked if we could talk. And at that point, the timing felt right because I had done enough work, therapy, therapy intensives. I had spent a lot of time getting to know myself again, trusting my gut, leaning into my intuition, working through that mind-body connection that I felt like, okay, I'm going to be able to write a book out of my scars and not my wounds. When we're wounded, we're bleeding and and it needs attention and things need to be repaired and sometimes things have to be removed. And I had done so much healing work at that point. I knew that what I could do is write out of my scars and therefore provide hope and healing for other people walking through the stages of a divorce. When you said you wanted to write from scars and not wounds, I love that so much. And I think that that's wisdom right there. Mm Because sometimes we may even think that we're healed. Yes. Right. Yeah. Just making, making for sure, for sure. That's a scar before, (laughs) because yeah, you are coming from a different place and you're sort of responding to what you've been through instead of reacting. Right. For sure. And that can be in a confrontation that's in your kitchen one day with something like, should I, do I want to respond to this or do I want to react? Or it can be to a bigger picture thing like this where your life has completely changed and there's multiple people involved. And, you know, it's interesting you use the wound and, and scar analogy because I know also with this book, you're not out 
for blood for anybody. No, I know your no. heart and yeah. you're in such a beautiful place. And I've loved watching you fall into your lane and tap into your gifts mm-hmm. and be there yes. for other people and women in particular, especially yeah. now women that have experienced the loss of a relationship like this and you're providing them yeah, the hope that's there and sharing the different ways in which you were able to heal and and move forward with your life when it completely crumbled. Yeah, I think in doing that, I had three kids watching how I was going to react or respond. And I did a week at Onsite, which is right outside of Nashville, Cumberland Furnace. And one of the therapists there, Bill Loki, said, your child's resilience is directly impacted by the way the parent chooses to own their story, understand their story and communicate their story. So at that point, when I kept saying like, I got to take care of my kids and myself, I realized that taking care of my kids meant taking care of myself first. So how could I own my story? What had happened to me? Not deny it, not avoid it, like own, this is what happened to me. Understand it, unpack the patterns, the habits, the, the unhealthy habits that had gotten me there. And then how can I communicate what I'm learning about myself and then even practice healthy communication in the other relationships that are in my life. So that kind of gave me a roadmap of how I wanted to be able to move forward. And it was a lot of trial and error. I have not always gotten it right. But that just allowed me to say, if I'm going to take care of my kids and myself, this is what it looks like to take care of myself first. So yeah, my kids have watched every step of the way as I've you know, done lots of counseling and therapy and yoga. And we were talking about Allie Fallon earlier. They do a self-care workshop that I I, went this year. I went the first time they did it. And it's amazing. And that was even part of my healing to realize that I could change the neurological pathways in my brain to not hear the negative talk that I had been experiencing for so long. So, um, which directly impacted your self-worth directly impacted my self-worth and what I thought I was capable of. And you're capable of so much. And that's what's beautiful to see is because I think that sometimes in certain relationships, depending on the dynamic, if it's not a healthy dynamic, then someone's stunted. Right, for sure. Someone's totally stunted. And honestly, I was very stunted because I was trying to function in an unhealthy dynamic I'm a two on the Enneagram, so I don't know. I was about to ask you your two number. Okay, so you're a helper. (laughs) Yes, I'm a helper. So I'm really good at taking care of other people and I'm a great support system person and let me cheer you on and let me show up and help you out. And I think I'd spent so many years doing that that I'd lost who I was. So honestly, one of the biggest parts of my divorce and moving forward was identity and figuring out who am I? What do I want my life to look like? What does it look like for me to think about dreaming again? And instead of just supporting other people who are chasing their dreams, begin to chase some of my own. Well, it's almost like since your early 20s, yes, you've not just been, you know, a wife, but you're a pastor's wife. Yes, yes. So that's a whole nother identity in itself. <laughs> it's living in a fishbowl, Amy. <laughs> and, you know, just knowing sometimes how your life is and then having to walk through those double doors every Sunday and being like, here we are. Yes. Stuff it all down. Just to like simplify it. I had three sons in five years. So three boys. So by the time the third one was born, it's like I had one that could hold my hand or hold the stroller, one on my hip, and then the baby in the stroller. And my goal was to get to church on Sunday mornings without looking like I was crazy because 
everyone was going in all these different directions. So I remember just telling myself, if you can get there and get into childcare and drop everyone off and still look like you're sane, then that's a win. Because everyone was watching. You knew as soon as I got out of the car and I had the three blonde haired boys and everyone knew that you were married to the pastor and they're watching to see how things happen. And lots of them are cheering you on. But at the same time, you're just aware you're being watched. And that's kind of an uncomfortable spot to be in. How did the boys feel about you writing a book? They were great about it. Honestly, they cheered me on. My oldest, he was one of the first people to read it. And he read every page and called me when he finished. He actually, it was so funny. He called me midway and he was like, you've got some good stuff in this dating chapter that I'm going to start remembering. I'm like, great. Not sure how I feel about that, but great. Then he called me at the end. And the last story I tell is actually an interaction between he and I that was really beautiful because I think behind women asking, am I going to be okay? The second question they ask is, will my kids be okay? And I can tell you that I never, ever wanted divorce to be part of my personal story, nor did I want it to be part of my kids' story. I did not want it to be a journey that they had to walk. And there's a lot of stress in just trying to, and we can never get it perfect, but trying to do the best job that we can raising our kids as we're grieving, as they're grieving, as we're figuring it out again. And super early on, I decided like I wanted to redefine family like nothing was missing. We were now a unit of four. My sons are currently 22, 19 and 17. And we were this unit of four that I referred to as us four, but we were having to refigure out how our family functioned. I chose to sell my house that I had lived in for 12 years, bought a new house for us, started creating new memories with the four of us, new traditions around the holidays, and just really focused. I don't even know that I said it out loud as much as I was just aware as a mom, one of my goals was to redefine family like nothing was missing. And a couple of years ago, I was speaking at a conference out West and my oldest son is in college at Birmingham. And he had said, can I watch you your talk? I was like, sure. So I sent him the link so he could stream it. And in that talk, I actually revisit a moment when the four of us were at the beach together and we're sitting by a fire outside at the beach. And we just had this really wonderful week, just the four of us on vacation, like family vacation, us with one mom and, you know, single mom and three kids and sitting by that fire and just realizing like, I did it. We did it. We redefined family and nothing is missing. We don't go on this trip and and think like, oh, this would be better if we go on this trip and enjoy being together, the four of us. So I'm retelling the story and I say like, I didn't want divorce to be part of my story. I didn't want it to be part of my kid's story. However, at this point in my life, I wouldn't change anything. I love where we are. I love who we are as a family. And when I wrapped up that talk, I went backstage to the green room and I picked up my phone and I had like seven text messages from my oldest son and, and they were super sweet. It was like, I like the outfit you have on and that joke was funny and the audience, they, they're loving you. And then I got to the last two text messages. I have goosebumps every time I talk about it. But the last two text messages said, I couldn't agree more. And then the last one said, I wouldn't change our lives for anything. And I think... Just to know that my kids recognize that we went through a lot together and we chose to allow that to bring us together 
rather than push us apart. And we're actually cemented together. You know, I, I would say initially, I keep my nest really tight because we had been through so much. I, I was super protective. And we've been able to expand our nest and let other people close to our family. And that feels good too. So I think to have made it through what we went through as a family unit, man, I'm just super grateful that they recognize that it took a lot of work from all of us to be able to redefine family like nothing was missing. I love that. And similar to you, I never wanted divorce for myself Mm -hmm. or my kids. And there's often this question, I feel like for for anybody, regardless of your faith background, it's not what you want. If you've set out to get married, it's like, okay, through sickness and in health. Exactly. They're thick and thin. I don't remember what all the vows are. (laughs) (laughs) But you're basically vowing to stay together no matter what. For rich or for poor, all that. (laughs) But, um, you know, you question like, did we do the right thing? Or did I do, whoever's the decision maker is Mm -hmm. like, was this the right thing? Or what could I have done differently? Or what could I do better? Or is there still something I I can do, but someone may know deep down, okay, no, I really think this may be the path for me, but I have so much fear attached to it because Mm -hmm. of the stigma or there's shame. Yeah. What do you have to say for either fellow divorce moms like me that are already have made that decision or women that maybe or moms too, maybe on the fence of like, there's something better for me. Yes. But they feel like if they go through with something like that, that it's this extreme failure and their life is forever ruined. Yeah. It was so interesting, Amy, when I got divorced and I started meeting with other women who were divorced. If we were in public at a restaurant or a coffee shop, it's when they started to tell their story, they'd say, and then in, you know, four years ago, I got divorced. And they'd almost drop their voice and bring it back up. And that's when I started recognizing like, okay, there's a lot of shame that goes with divorce. And I do think there is that question. I ask myself the same thing, like, have I made the right decision in order to move forward with this? And and I think there are a couple of things that goes on there. I think one of the things that was super valuable to me in dealing with the shame is to recognize whose voice I heard in my head. And I would hear these phrases like, Brandy, you're not a good time manager. And Brandy, why would you start your own business? You're not a great leader. And do people really like you? And maybe you just create more chaos than you actually bring value to a situation. So I would hear all these voices. And there was a moment where I just, I stopped and I was like, whose voice do I hear in my head? And I identified it as my ex-husband. And I think we all have that voice, maybe not all of us, but the a large majority of the population has that voice and they can trace it back to maybe a coach in elementary school or a teacher or maybe an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend, but a someone, a parent, someone that had value in their life that spoke something that they still continue to hear in their head. So for me, it became identifying that voice. And then because I have the faith I have, it's like, I want it to be God's voice in my head. So I started, you know, recording in my journal, what were the voices I didn't want to hear? And then what does God say about me? So what is the truth about who I am? And then I put little post-it notes. I still have one in my um, primary bathroom now that says, whose voice do I hear? Let it be God's. And just that reminder of, man, my ex-husband took enough of my life and my mental space and all of that. He doesn't get any more. I am going to know who I am based on my relationship with God and how he has created me. And that's going to be the truth that I cling to. All right. I want to tell you about something really awesome that Macy's is doing. 
It is currently Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, online and in-store. For the entire month of May, you can join Macy's in supporting AAPI-owned fashion brands. Plus, you can help support college access and student success when you donate online or simply round up in store to APIA scholars. Now, APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. And Macy's has made it super easy. You can just round up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support APIA Scholars, which is an educational nonprofit. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. Again, that's Macy's.com. You're going to be doing some shopping anyway. Why not round up and give back? That's Macy's.com or in-store. All right, so I've been saving on shopping this year by only buying new clothes when I've sold some clothes that I no longer wear. And what this has done is it's forced me to be super wise when I'm adding clothes back into my closet. I want to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, and that's where Quince comes into play. You can go see for yourself all the awesome stuff they have, especially for summer right now, like European linen dresses and blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, 14-karat gold jewelry, so much more. And if you're like me, you're like, hmm, This just seems too good to be true. Well, what Quince does is they partner directly with top factories and they cut out the cost of the middleman and they pass the savings on to us. So we are getting things for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. For example, I'm literally looking on their website right now at this open knit cover up maxi dress that'll be great for the summer, 100% organic cotton, and it's $49.90. It could retail for $148. So that's 66% savings. And with warm weather here, you need to check out Quince. All you got to do is go to quince.com slash Amy for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's com slash Amy. You're going to get free shipping. Again, 365 day returns. That's quince.com slash Amy. Hey, it's Amy here to talk about the incredible work being done by St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and ask you today to join me in becoming a partner in hope. When you make a donation to St. Jude, you're helping an organization that has helped push the overall childhood cancer survival rate from 20% to more than 80%. And I can tell you from personal experience, that number and the hope that it brings is invaluable. What they are doing at St. Jude is making a huge difference. It is full of joy there, which a lot of families need at that time. They don't need to be worrying about travel, lodging, food. Everything is paid for at St. Jude so that families can focus on their child that has cancer. Your support means families never receive a bill from St. Jude. It's only $19 a month. And when you sign up, you'll get the new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. Join me in helping St. Jude in the fight against childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope at musicgives.org. That's musicgives.org. When it comes to your faith during that time when everything was falling apart, I feel like some people may go the opposite direction or yeah. they may lean more into it. What was that experience like for you? I went from being surrounded by thousands of people all the time. The church was very large. So I went from like legitimately feeling like life was huge and there were people everywhere to it shrunk down to I talked to three people and my therapist on a regular basis. So Honestly, because life shrunk, I spent a lot of time alone 
and talk to God a ton. Now, I do want to validate. I was angry. I was frustrated. I didn't understand why he wasn't answering prayers. I remember laying face down on my bedroom, begging for him to heal my marriage and just give me one ounce of hope and that not happening. And being able to just show up to God in this way that was super authentic with where I was for me, helped create a secure attachment. And we talk a lot about attachment and parenting. It's also called bonding science and what attachment between a parent and a child looks like. And I think that was probably the first time for me in my 40s that I actually leaned into my relationship with God in an authentic way because I showed up angry, mad, questioning him, doubting if he was going to show up. And, you know, when the person who's supposed to love you the most leaves, you wonder if anyone will love you. And God was really gracious to give me super small ways and then large ways that reminded me he loved me and he was taking care of me. And Amy, it could be in the middle of me having a fit of like, why won't you just answer this prayer? You've reconciled all these people I know, their marriages through similar stories. Why aren't you fixing mine? And he would just nudge me. And I think I got to the point where I realized, okay, I've been asking him to heal my marriage what he really wants to do is heal me. And that was huge for me to realize like, okay, healing can happen in my life. Might not be my marriage, but healing can happen for me. Restoration can happen for me. Might not happen in my marriage. It can still happen for me. And to be able to realize like, okay, he has shown up and he's shown up when I'm mad and angry and he has stayed through all of that. So I think his presence to me during all of that doubt and questioning made him a safe place for me to be able to go to. You know, a second ago, you mentioned like healing is possible and you realized that 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 was going to be the case for you. You were going to be able to heal and that your faith was strengthened. And really, when you have a relationship like that with God, like you're never really alone. But chapter six of your book, it starts off like this. I've never missed my ex, but I felt immensely lonely. So talk about how loneliness both hurts and heals. I think loneliness is huge and it's the piece we don't expect because I did have great support system of friends around me and I had my kids the majority of the time. But even sometimes when I'm surrounded by people, I felt lonely. And what I had to recognize for me is that I had been lonely for a really long time in my marriage. So I had to recognize that and realize that I had been filling that hole with other things in order to not feel that loneliness. And I remember my therapist saying to me, like, you need to sit in your loneliness. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. That sounds miserable. I am definitely an introvert, but I'm super relational. So I like to be with people. And this sounds so silly, but I was at the Ryman one night and I heard Hardy play at a writers in the round at the, um, Ryman, and he sang his song, Sober You, Sober Me. I forget the title of it. Don't tell him. But in it, he has a line that says, there's healing in the lonely. And when I heard him say that line, I was like, man, that sounds like what my therapist is talking about. If there's healing in the lonely, how can I find that? So I became super intentional about my time that I was alone. And when I started feeling lonely and being able to identify what that was. And for me, the time I get the loneliness the loneliest is when we're transitioning from day into night. It's like that twilight hour. I'm fine during the day. I get to night, I'm fine. But that transition was really tough. And I think the healing for me in the loneliness was me getting to know myself again. 
and not just getting to know myself, but to realize how much I liked myself and I enjoyed myself and I was really fun and I'm thoughtful and I, I'm just easy to be around. And I think I dealt with the loneliness by getting to know myself again. And then in getting to know myself again, it made me braver to reach out to other people when I had those evenings that I didn't want to be by myself and to say like, Hey, let's meet for happy hour. Or you want to go see a movie and be able to keep myself busy in a healthy way, not in an avoidant way, but in a healthy way. And then from that loneliness, I might have probably dated a little too soon, but I think I had so much rejection and abandonment from my my divorce that I just thought, is anyone going to ever want to be with me? So I might have dated a little too soon, not to the point that I regret it, but, you know, I never called a date by their name to my girlfriends. I would be like, oh, I went out with the police officer and, and my girlfriend would be like, oh, is he the one with three kids? No, that's a real estate agent. Oh, is he the one who, and I, I called them by their occupation. Why? So that was kind of, because then I didn't have to attach to the fact that it was actually a person I was spending time with. So I think I dated too soon. What but I, to the person you were dating, you said their name? Uh, to them, I said their name. Hey, so a real estate agent, um, <laughs> what do you want to do tonight? I called them by their name, just not when I talked about them. I did a lot of first dates, not a lot of second dates. On apps or how were you meeting these people? I did. I had lots of setups and then I tried a couple apps. I'm not doing anything right now. I just got out of like a 16 month, 15, 16 month relationship that was really great and wonderful. It was just the timing was off. So I'm ready to start dating again. I think the biggest thing I learned is that at my age, I'm in my late 40s, everyone has baggage. So that's just the reality is everyone has baggage. We have to be able to discern what is the baggage that we're willing to deal with and what kind of work have they done around their baggage? And for me, there is that if I don't repair it, I'm going to repeat it. And I don't want to repeat the mistakes of my past. And I don't want to repeat the enabling and I don't want to, you know, repeat the dysfunction and I don't want to repeat the codependency. So what I don't repair, I repeat. So that allowed me to really think about what do I want out of a healthy relationship and be able to spend time building into those things. And when we talk about emotional health and emotional intelligence, an emotionally stronger me creates an emotionally stronger we. So if I'm going to show up emotionally stronger and I am therefore attracting people who are emotionally stronger, it helps create that emotionally stronger we. So those are kind of some of the guidelines that I've dealt with in dating. Honestly, Amy, I think I did start to trust my gut in recognizing red flags quicker than recognizing green flags. So I would be able to leave and just think like, oh, this, 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 I'm not a fan of. Rather than being like, this is a quality about this person I enjoyed. This person is probably not the one for me, but I appreciated that they were very thoughtful in their language. So I think even sometimes looking for those green flags in dating brings a hope about meeting somebody who does end up being a good match for us. I'm loving all your, your sayings. The, um, <laughs> say the we one again. An emotionally stronger me creates an emotionally stronger we. Boom. Yes. Which is, again, doing that work on yourself. Yeah. And it's in any relationship. So that can be in a working relationship with coworkers. It can be with your kids. It can be with girlfriends. Anytime you're dealing with somebody, you know, I mean, you and I have both done enough of the work that when we're engaging with someone who has also done a lot of work on themselves and has a self-awareness, we recognize it. 
So yeah, an emotionally stronger me creates an emotionally stronger we. Yeah, that is true with any relationship. I realized sometimes when I was, not sometimes, there was a little season where I was having a difficult time at work, but I think other things in my life were bleeding into it. Mm, yeah. And I wanted to blame other things. Like, yeah. well, it's because this at work, this is, and then, then as I continue to do more work on myself, I realized that I was the problem. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I was able to change my perspective, my attitude, do that work on myself, and it's almost like just with a snap of a finger, when it clicked, it clicked. Yes. And now... Things that I used to see at work that would, you know, maybe bug me or frustrate me or whatever. Like, I don't even see it almost. It's almost right. like, oh my God. Like, well, actually, because I have the awareness, I actually do see it. And I'm like, huh, that's so interesting that used to like send me into a tailspin <laughs> and then have a domino effect on the rest of my day. Right. And I'm not speaking about any particular person or thing. So don't, if you're, <laughs> if you're a listener to the Bobby Bone Show, this isn't anything really about that. It, this was really my, my own yeah. stuff. And it was bleeding into work where I thought it was a work thing. But it was really a me thing. And once I did the work, the energy shifted. Yeah. And it's like, yes, w- some of that stuff was still there, but it's not, it's not bothering anybody. Exactly. It was only bothering me. Right. <laughs> because I was the problem. And so, yeah, that could be in a friendship. Yeah. It for could sure. be in a romantic relationship. It could be with your kids. There's just a pattern sometimes that shows up and you have to realize, okay, what role am I playing in this pattern? Right. And how can I break it? Right, for sure. All right, I want to tell you about something really awesome that Macy's is doing. It is currently Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, online and in-store. For the entire month of May, you can join Macy's in supporting AAPI-owned fashion brands. Plus, you can help support college access and student success when you donate online or simply round up and store to APIA scholars. Now, APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. And Macy's has made it super easy. You can just round up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support APIA Scholars, which is an educational nonprofit. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander owned brands at Macy's.com or in store. Again, that's Macy's.com. You're going to be doing some shopping anyway. Why not round up and give back? That's Macy's.com or in store. All right. If you want to look cute and feel comfortable at the same time when you're, you know, at a festival or concert because it's festival and concert season right now, it's got to be all about the boots and Tacova's boots is where it's at. That is your stop before attending your next concert. I've loved my Tacovas anytime I wear them or I get a new pair. They feel comfortable on the first wear. I don't have to break them in. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. And all Tacovas boots are made by hand in a time honored tradition, which is super cool. They've got timeless styles that are always on trend. And really, you just got to stop by your local Tacova store, try them on for yourself, and see what I'm talking about. You can have a complimentary drink while you're there, shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized, which I love. And they've got regular live music and events. There's no in store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S and find your new favorite pair of boots today. 
Hey, it's Amy here to talk about the incredible work being done by St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and ask you today to join me in becoming a partner in Hope. When you make a donation to St. Jude, you're helping an organization that has helped push the overall childhood cancer survival rate from 20% to more than 80%. And I can tell you from personal experience, that number and the hope that it brings is invaluable. What they are doing at St. Jude is making a huge difference. It is full of joy there, which a lot of families need at that time. They don't need to be worrying about travel, lodging, food. Everything is paid for at St. Jude so that families can focus on their child that has cancer. Your support means families never receive a bill from St. Jude. It's only $19 a month. And when you sign up, you'll get the new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. Join me in helping St. Jude in the fight against childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope at musicgives.org. That's musicgives.org. couple of times you mentioned being thankful for certain things and you know I think when you go through a difficult season sometimes it's hard to really be thankful for anything yes um yes so how does gratitude play a role in any of this for you and what when were you able to look back and really be thankful for what happened and where you are now yeah gratitude is huge for me I have a whole chapter about it you know I used to say to my kids are you being grumbly hateful or humbly grateful there you go you got another (laughs) that's like a song from a VBS or something (laughs) but I know that they were annoyed by it and probably rolled their eyes but I think I got to the point when life you know was honestly probably at the lowest that same September that my ex-husband resigned from his position I, I just had this moment where nothing around me felt good but I knew that I still believe God was good. So I just kept like wrestling with that. If nothing feels good and I believe God is still good, what does that mean? And I just pulled a journal off a shelf. I think it was a freebie that came in some packaging. I took an orange Sharpie and I just wrote focus on the good on the front. I didn't know it was a gratitude practice. I didn't know to refer to it as gratitude. But at the end of each day, I made myself write down three to five things of where I saw the goodness of God in my everyday life. Because at that point, well, and still now, but at that point I'd gotten to where it it is one day at a time. If I can just survive today became my goal. So if I got to the end of the day and I could reflect back on some good parts of my day, then that felt rewarding for me. And that felt like a way to celebrate that I had made it through another really crappy, terrible day. And it was small things like maybe ice cream on the porch with my kids or got a new pair of glasses. I remember one time writing down, bought a new hairdryer. And I thought, I've reached the bottom when the number one thing on my gratitude list is a new hairdryer. And then I recognized, you know what? There's going to be more new in my life. This is just a new hairdryer, but there's going to be other new things to come. And that perspective shift of practicing gratitude allowed me to see that there was good still going on around me and God was still good and showing up in ways in my life. And that was a huge shift in the way that I viewed my future as I move forward. You mentioned doing three to five things, which right in the middle of that is four. Four. So we'll do, (laughs) this is a good time for, you know, Currently, what are you thankful for? Four things. Yeah, it's so funny. I did that this morning in my journal and didn't even think about the fact you were probably going to ask me today. You did four things gratitude today, or you did four today or three or five? I I did. Today, I think I had four. (laughs) Foreshadowing. Okay, yes, foreshadowing. I got a new coffee maker during Amazon Prime sale, and I'm loving my new coffee, so that was one of my things. 
one of my things is just this is a unique summer, I feel like, for my family because my oldest son's going to be a senior in college and my middle son is going to be a freshman in college. So in two weeks, I take them to school. And I've realized that this summer might be the last time we live like this because when he finishes college, I don't know for sure he's coming back to Nashville, um, what he wants to do. He does not want to move back in with mom. That part is clear. And that's fine. That's, you know, he's doing what I expect him to do. But I'm super grateful that the four of us have had this summer together because I've gotten to see how my kids interact as friends, not just as brothers, but also as friends. So super grateful to have that this summer. Last night, I saw a movie with my oldest son and I went in to say goodnight to my youngest. And when I opened the door, he said, goodnight, mama. And mama does not always happen. But when he says or any of them say mama, that just like does me in. So that was one of the things on my list called me mama. And then one of my kids came in last night. I'd actually gone to sleep, woke me up and crawled in bed with me to tell me about his evening. And I'm like, how many, you know, teenage, early 20 boys crawl in bed with their mom to tell them about their night? Um, So I wrote down that I was grateful for that, even though he woke me up and I did not act very grateful at the moment. It was still just a sweet moment. Love that. And you know what I realized about my parenting post-divorce is that I'm less rigid and just more real. I can't really think of a way to describe it because cool keeps coming to mind and that just sounds lame, but I do think that that's the case. Like I'm still firm and in my mom role, but little things don't bother me like they used to. And I really want to focus more on connection and communication more than anything. Do you relate to what I'm saying? Yeah. My kids would totally say I was much more relaxed post-divorce and more fun post-divorce. When I moved into the house that the boys and I live in, I did set some probably values that I wanted to invest in when, you know, it's us four no more. And one of them was that this is a house of truth. Yeah, that's us four. Very us four no more. Mm -hmm, I love that. (laughs) Noted. One of the things was I want this to be a house of truth. And I just became super honest with like, we have all lived through a bunch of lies. We have lived through some deceit, some manipulation. That is not how we live anymore. This is a house house of truth. And as long as you're telling me the truth, we can deal with it. If you're going to lie, we can't. And I'm not going to say it worked itself out perfectly um, because there's obviously are bumps in the road and they're teenage boys. And but truth telling has become a value that I feel like all three of them grasp onto. And I was even having a conversation with one of my sons this week, having to process like the difference between a justified truth and what actual truth is. So I just said a lot like, no, we don't tell lies in this house. We tell the truth and then would model that even when it's hard. So it is funny. A couple of weeks ago, we were having a conversation and this is how you know you've created a culture that is successful is when they kind of throw it back in your face. But we were having this conversation and one of them said something and I was like, there are just certain things as mom you can leave out. I just don't need to hear it. And he said, "Mm, house of truth. And I'm like, oh, okay, let's throw that back at me (laughs) in a moment where I'm like, no, don't say that. So yeah, that was just something that was really important to us. And I think that they feel safe to share what's going on in their lives because this is a house of truth. And they've called me out on that when they've felt like I'm not being honest. My honesty would be more of there are certain things, you know, they don't want to know about their mom dating. So I would keep that private. I'm not keeping it a secret, but it's private. And one of my sons pretty early on said like, 
you said you'd tell us the truth and you're dating and you aren't talking to us about it. We and know he's a real estate agent. We know he's a police officer. <laughs> <laughs> but at that point, I had to say, well, what I think is happening is that we have different, like we are defining the same term differently. So for me, when I say dating, I mean, I'm in a relationship with someone. And when you say dating, you mean I'm going on dates. He was like, yes, that's what you're doing. I was like, yes, that's what I'm doing. This is just a misunderstanding. We have miscommunicated on the definition of this word. So I've, yeah, I think I've just tried to create because I don't feel rigid anymore and I don't yes. feel stressed anymore. I can't, I couldn't explain it but when you said relaxed and fun, like yeah. that was it. But again, there's still this, my house, you will respect, this is what I'm For asking. Sure. Like there's a For difference, sure. but there is this, I don't know, when a family goes through a lot and it, it's not what was modeled to me as a child in my home. Yeah. But yeah, something broke us all down and Ben's the same way with them. I mean, mm-hmm. and we we co-parent amicably and it's very easy, but we're both on that same page of like, listen, we would rather our kids be able to come to us and tell us anything because that was just not the culture in our homes growing up. Right. Like we right. could, he's like, I didn't tell my parents anything. Are you no. kidding? I mean, <laughs> his parents are amazing as yeah. were mine, but just wasn't this open invitation to talk about anything for fear of XYZ. Right. So it's almost like when you're something about what we, what my home went through, I can only speak for my home, what we went through as a family, it was like, okay, yeah, well, all right, we're just not going to waste time on being rigid or complicated in that way anymore. Let's be relaxed, more fun. Let's just be open. Let's share. You can come to me with anything. There's no judgment. It's not going to shock me. Like I'm also going to guide you or try yes, to guide you sure. or be the best mom to you that I can because I care about you and I love you. But like, let's tell each other things. Yeah. And it's, it's way more fun. It's oh, way more fun. It's so exhausting being rigid. <laughs> yes. It's so exhausting. Yeah, it is. And I think that relaxed nature just allows me to parent in a way and you to parent in a way where they want to tell us what's going on in their life. So yes, we are the cool parents, Amy. Cool. Do you have any final advice to wrap up like the divorce talk for anybody that is facing it or facing the co-parenting stuff? Are there resources or things that you recommend? Obviously, I recommend Better Than Okay (laughs) by Brandy Wilson. I will say when it comes to co-parenting, one of the things that was helpful to me is I, our communication is basically email and that's it. So I realize in that communication, am I responding to my ex-husband or am I responding to my kid's father? And if I can separate those roles of like, okay, this is a response from my kids to my kid's father, that takes away some of the emotion and the hurt that comes with being my ex-husband. So if you can separate that, sometimes that helps remove some of that frustration and pain. Reframing who you're talking to. Reframes who you're talking to. So that's a little nugget. I think my other is just take one day at a time. Because you can get so overwhelmed thinking, what is this going to look like in six months? What is this going to look like in six years when I'm sending two kids to college? And it is about making it through that one day at a time. As far as resources and places to go, I mean, I tell everyone to find a great therapist. So I think that's the number one thing you can do. And then lean into your support system. And if you don't have that, reach out to the people around you and ask for it. I think we want to isolate because out of embarrassment and shame, and then people are going to ask questions and we often don't have answers to those questions. So it overwhelms us, but you also can reach out to those people. And if they ask a question, you can say, I don't have an answer for it right now. Can we just have coffee and talk about what else is going on in life? 
but definitely try to lean into that support system because it is a time in your life you do not need to be isolated. You need to make sure you are seeing other people and engaging with other people. Lisa Turkers wrote a book called Forgiving What You Can't Forget, which is an excellent book. I read that with a group of single moms during the pandemic. We did a book club on Zoom with it, and it was an excellent resource because lots of times the other questions I get are, how do you forgive? And I think that's a great one when it comes to being able to forgive. And then her last book is called Boundaries or Goodbyes. And that's a great one too. Boundaries are or or? Or. Okay. Were you good at boundaries before any of this? I thought I was, Amy. <laughs> and you no, realize now not. like you're not. Yeah. And now are you? Yeah, I'm way better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'm way better at what I will and won't allow. So I think for me, I always looked at boundaries as more of a time frame of like, I need this coffee to end at this time because then I have this to go to. And I probably thought about it more in time management, which clearly I was told I wasn't good at. But, but now I, I am. I'm actually great you are, at you were, it. You were on time here. Thank you. Yeah. That counts. 100%. Success and then we rate. got to talking and I delayed you and you had something else and you were respectful to call whomever and say, hey, this is my new plan. <laughs> so you're, I feel like you're yes. great with time management. <laughs> Thank you. And courteous. <laughs> but yes, I think for boundaries, I had to reframe how I allow people to treat me and what I will and won't put up with. So I don't think I saw boundaries as more emotional boundaries. Mm -hmm. They were more physical and tangible boundaries in my mind. So yes, I'm way better at them now. I pulled up the Hardy song and it's signed. Signed Sober You. Yeah, signed comma Sober You because what he would do, well, in the song is he's writing a note to himself and puts it on the fridge when he's sober so that when he's been drinking, he can (laughs) read it and be reminded of what he was saying to himself when he was clear yes and yes not impaired (laughs) and so yeah the line is don't think about it mister don't even touch your phone I know you think you miss her but I promise you you don't Mm -hmm. there's healing in the lonely sit back kick off your boots and you'll thank me in the morning like you always do signed sober you yes I love that song I was with another divorced single mom at that benefit. And when he sang it, we were both like minds blown with there's healing in the lonely. Oh, that means I'm going to have to do it. Yeah. Take a little (laughs) bit of work, but you see the, the fruit of your labor. Sure. Worth it. Yes. Worth it. Wouldn't change my life for anything. Yeah. And I, I'm in a, the, the, how you do the, we're a family of four, Forget that other guy no more. I, I don't know. What was the saying? Us four no more. Us four, Us four no more. So I, I like that just in um, building that new life. Yeah. Being proactive and not wallowing in like, oh, what, what was supposed to be or what sure. could have been. Sure. There's grief there. Yeah, of course. Yes. But in order to move forward, yeah. you have to start living in the now. Yes, for sure. And then having visions for your future. But mm-hmm. I feel like if we are focus too much on our future, then we start the future tripping stuff. And then if we're living in the past, that's not helping our new life that we're trying to create at all. And so it seems to me that, yeah, you realize pretty early on, I've got to be present. I got to be present with my boys and we're going to yeah, build our new life, our new traditions, our new yes. things. And you just had to be proactive. Yes, for sure. And when you're going through a lot, that's sometimes hard to do because you can feel just uh, paralyzed. Oh, but trust me, I had days I did not want to get out of bed and Days I took it to his school and went back to bed. So yes, depression and anxiety was huge mm-hmm. during those times. Yeah. yeah. But well, overall, 
I got up most days, Amy. (laughs) Well, thank you for for sharing your story. And I'm proud of you for putting out the book when the time was right for you and um, being a resource for so many people and being so capable and talented. I appreciate it. And a leader (laughs) and on time. I love it. (laughs) All the positivity. Give me the positive affirmations. Yeah, because I don't want those lies in your head to creep back up, creep back (laughs) in those voices. But now you know. I mean, you've done the work. Yes. But it is interesting. No matter how much work you do, they still pop up. Yeah. Just less and less. They do have the awareness and you redirect. Yes. Boom. Yep. The minute it comes in, it goes by. So Better Than Okay is the book. Uh, You can get it and read it. However, I have downloaded the audio version. And so you can listen to it, but that's not going to be Brandy's voice. Yes. (laughs) But I hear she did a lovely job. (laughs) Whoever recorded, she did a lovely job. But I'm just, if you're listening to this podcast and then you decide to go download it, you're like, wait, am I listening to the right book? This sounds like a different person. Yeah. It is the same book. And it's all about finding hope and healing after your marriage ends. So thank you, Brandy, for for sharing and uh, where can people find you? I'm lovebrandywilson.com for my website. Brandy is spelled with an I. And on Instagram, I'm lovebrandywilson. So I can be found both of those places. Why the love? For years, I was Brandy and Boys because I have three sons and I like alliteration. And I got to that point where one of the things I did post-divorce was I went to get a coaching certification because I was talking to so many women and I'm like, knowledge is power. If I'm going to talk to all these women about divorce, I want to be able to give them great quality feedback. So when I got a coaching, my first coaching certification, I have a couple now, I just thought I'm going to rebrand because I need a side, I need a single mom side hustle. So when I did some rebranding, I actually named my business Brandy and Boys and switched to Love Brandy Wilson for a couple of reasons. I feel like it's almost endearing to who I am. And then I think when I talk about what love looks like years ago, I got a love more tattoo on my wrist. And I just feel like if we approach situations with love, the outcome is is usually way more positive than approaching it with a different stance. And I think for me, I'm, if I'm going to talk about love, I'm going to talk about how to be healthy in a loving relationship. And it just kind of stuck. So, well, I love it. <laughs> I'm so glad you do. <laughs> and Brandy with an I. Yes, I think that's important. They might yes. be like B-R-A-N-D-Y. Y. Yeah, they won't find me there. Uh-huh. Brandy with an I. No. And then what about the Wilson? Last question. Sorry. Yeah. I'm intrigued because I, I'm Amy Brown and that's Ben's last name and I'm yep. keeping that and you yep. kept Wilson. Yeah. I actually had been Wilson longer than I had been my maiden name, Wheeler, when I got divorced. And then my kids are all Wilson. So I had been a school teacher for years and it was always a little confusing of like, whose mom is this when the last names didn't match? Um, And I think because my kids were all Wilson and that's how I've been known my entire adult life, it just seemed like more of a natural fit. Okay. Yeah, but I get asked that a lot. Mm -hmm. It's so funny. A lot of people are like, are you changing your name? And I'm like, if I change my name, no one would know who I was. I know. I know. Me professionally, be like four things with Amy. What? Yeah. Who, who is that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I hope y'all are having the day that you need to have. Again, check out Brandy's book, Better Than Okay. And remember, no matter what you're going through in life, maybe it's not even a mm-hmm. divorce, but you listen to this entire episode, which would be cool. Uh, and you're like, I have no idea what they're talking about. But maybe you're listening for a reason, like you've got a friend that could mm-hmm. be walking through it soon or... Um, a loved one. And there's something in, in knowing that you're not alone. Yes, you for know? sure. That validation it, it is It could be comforting to mm-hmm. to have that. So thanks for listening. And again, whatever you're going through, I love that saying, you're better than okay. Yes. You will be. You will be. Okay, bye. All summer, 
the best time of the year usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there was another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. At IKEA, everyone can have lounge chair access. No reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, they have all of the essentials that you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. All right, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can really make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through things. Now, BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. BetterHelp.com. Hey, it's Amy here to talk about St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. For 60 years, St. Jude doctors and researchers have helped push the overall childhood cancer survival rate from 20% to more than 80%. And we need your help getting that number to 100%. And most important, your support means that families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food. That peace of mind means so, so much for these families. So join me in helping St. Jude in this fight. Become a partner in hope at musicgives.org. That's musicgives.org.